Thanks, everyone, for joining Imagine Publicity on Air, which is partner-sponsored by Wild Blue Press and Imagine Publicity. Um, I generally cover a variety of topics for anyone out there who's interested in current events, issues of importance, true crime, business history, and, like today, books and authors. I'm your host, Delilah Jones of ImaginePublicity.com, a boutique social media management company that works with individuals, authors, companies, nonprofits looking for assistance with social media presence. Not only do I offer full services, but also I offer training to those who prefer to personally handle their own accounts. Um, so if you're in need of those type of services or training, just contact me at imaginepublicity.com. Number one, New York Times bestselling author Greg Olson says, worth the wait, O'Callaghan is back with a vengeance, and this time he delivers a complex but nuanced thriller that grabs you by the throat and never lets go. And that, by the way, is a very good thing. We are going to be speaking today with author Thomas O'Callaghan author of No One Will Hear Your Screams. This is his third book in a trilogy um, featuring um, Lieutenant Driscoll, who comes through each book. And I'm going to let him explain that to you. Um, but first of all, welcome to the podcast, Thomas. And could you let our listeners know a little bit about your background. We I like to I like listeners to know the author behind the stories. Great, great, great to be here, Delilah. Thanks for having me on. Yes, um uh Tom O'Callaghan is my name as you have indicated. I'll tell you a little bit about my background. Uh many people ask me uh, if I've um, had uh, any training in writing. Did I study writing in college? Uh, where did I get uh, the desire to write? And the, the answer is uh, I, I needed something to do after I took an early retirement from the insurance industry at the, at the age of 49. I was working uh, for a major insurance company, Allstate Insurance Company, and um, as a sales agent. And uh, I enjoyed the, the job. I was doing well. But the company decided that they were going to changed the way they uh, they paid and um, supplied um, services to their agents. And uh, my option was to stay on and become a, uh, a franchise for Allstate Insurance Company or take an early retirement. So I took the early retirement. I, I took my book of business and sold it to someone that was staying on. So it was a it was a nice it was a nice golden parachute for me. Although I was 49 um, and I needed something to do. So a couple of people suggested that uh, I pick up a hobby. And the first hobby I decided uh, I'd try would be uh, amateur photography because I like to take pictures. And this was well before the advent of the iPhone. And I had a 35-millimeter camera that I'd go out and snap some photos. And I enjoyed that. But uh, that waned in about uh, a month's time. And I needed another hobby, so I, I thought to myself, well, uh, in college and in high school, I used to uh, like to perform in the theater groups, 
So um, I enrolled in a course down uh, in Manhattan at HB Studios to study uh, the art of acting, and uh, I enjoyed that. I was a part of the group for about two months, and after the two months, uh, my interest waned a little bit more. So speaking to a friend of mine, um, said, well, uh, with all this time on your hands, what, what are you doing? And I said, well, I spend a lot of time reading. And uh, she asked me what I read, and I said, well, I like to read uh, mysteries and thrillers and uh, mostly fiction. And she said, well, if you like to read, why don't you try writing? <laughs> and I, I kind of chuckled, and I said, well, I've never written anything. And she said, well, now's a good chance to start. And that was the kickoff. I, I took her advice, and I began writing. And what she gave me as a word of advice from, from the very start was to write like no one will ever read it. And uh, by doing so, I, I got that, that critic inside my own head that's saying, that's not good enough. That shouldn't, you know, that shouldn't be written in that fashion. That no one's going to like that. All of that stuff. I didn't hear as I just wrote it like no one would uh, would ever read it. And eventually I uh, I wrote a scene and then another scene and then another scene. And um, she read what I wrote and she thought it was pretty good. And she suggested that I, uh, I connect with a friend of hers who um, was and is a writing coach. And uh, that was the start of my career. Um, way back in, I'd say, 1998 was when I started. And um, I put together with this gentleman, uh, Stephen O'Hayan is his name, um, I put together um, my first novel, which uh, uh, the working title was Night Kills, and eventually it became Bone Thief, and uh, it was eventually published. But that took me 12 years. Um, but it was it was a, a nice journey. Um, and... Uh, after that, I, I published the second book, The Screaming Room, um, with the same company, Kensington, at the time. And and uh, then um, I put the pen down for a while. I picked it up again several years later, and Wild Blue Press, um, wonderful company, um, picked up my third book, uh, which is the latest one that's out now, No One Will Hear Your Screams. And um, they then republished uh, Bone Thief and The Screaming Room. Uh, as a trilogy for all three. So, um, no, I've never had a course in writing. Um, I didn't study it in college. I was a history major. Um, I was a salesman for most of my life. But being a salesman um, gave me the uh, stick-to-itiveness, if that's a, a phrase I'm going to use here, to um, stick to it because I had a 12-year journey to get my first book published. So, um, but it was, um, it was well worth it. And, uh, well, and I feel like, you know, that's, that's something for budding authors to realize is that, uh, and, and I run across this a lot with many authors I've had contact with is, is, you know, they feel like, okay, it's done. It should be published. And it's just not always a very easy process. And it takes so much patience and you have to, have pretty thick skin to deal with the rejection notices too. So I'm yeah. sure, um, you know, I'm sure you've gone through all of that if it took 12 years. Yes, it did. And I, I went through all of that. Um, mm -hmm. My background in sales told me that every no I heard was one step closer to a yes. 
So yes. uh, what I continued to do, what I did and then continued to do, was I would uh, put together my query letter and send out my chapters of the book to um, to a literary agent, uh, one after another. I, back in the day when I started my uh, my venture out into the into the world of, of writing, uh, there there was no such thing as online submission. Everything was done by mail. And uh, to get a listing of all of those agents, I, I, I literary agents, I went to Barnes and Nobles and picked up a, a thick book called The Guide to Literary Agents uh, for 1998. And I then uh, submitted my query letter with a sampling of my work to every literary agent that handled my genre. The genre is that of a thriller, of a thriller. Um, and I got back several rejections. I got back a few, well, I like what you've written. I'd like to see more. And, and I've got, I got back uh, uh, some responses from some a, uh, agents who said, you know, I like what you've written here. However, it doesn't fit what I'm looking for or uh, it needs a little of work. And after I had submitted to every agent in the United States that handled the thriller writing genre, um, I said, well, it's either I start again from page one or I take some of the advice that um, that some of the agents had given me a, a, along the way, and that was to, to have a professional editor look at it because it, what you've written, Tom, is good, but I think what you need to do is have a professional look at it, someone that knows what the market is looking for. As many people, many writers feel that what they've written is their baby and um, they feel it's, it's great. But what I learned over the years is that, uh, yes, what I've written is sort of my baby and it's going out there and I'm proud of it. But once I send it to a literary agent or to a publisher, I realize it then becomes a product and they know best how to market it and they know best um, what uh, the reading public is looking for in, in that particular time. So I have to give that over to them once I release it, once I send it out to them. And getting back to the advice of having a professional editor look at it, I said, okay, um, I'll, I'll swallow my, uh, my sense of vanity and I'll say, okay, I'll have somebody else look at it. And I went online and I sought uh, the help of a editor who who um, edited my genre thrillers, and there was a listing, and uh, the name that popped out um, was Dick Marrick. Um, he um, he he lost. Uh, we lost him a couple of months ago, unfortunately, uh, but I had established a good friendship with him over the years. Um, and Dick Marrick was the uh, published was the editor who assisted Thomas Harris uh, put together Silence of the Lambs. He edited nine of Robert Ludlum's books. Um, he uh, was the uh, ghostwriter of the uh, Central Park Stalker, uh, Central Park uh, Jogging uh, Murder uh, Killer. Um, so the, the guy, the guy was a big name in the industry. <laughs> I remember when I called him, I thought to myself, he's never going to want to read any of my work. Um, interestingly enough, he didn't ask me too much about the work. What he wanted to know was 
who I had sent it to and what that particular agent had to say about it. It was his way of screening my work. He didn't want to know too much about the work. He just wanted to know what everybody else had to say about it. And I was savvy enough to, to understand where he was going. And I listed those agents of uh, high caliber that I, I knew were big name agents and what they had to say about it. And after he heard uh, what was said, he said, Tom, I think we could work together. And I submitted my manuscript to him in written in uh, typed form. And uh, he took about three months to edit it and sent it back to me. Um, he went through every every line, every every comma was was watched, and he gave it back to me with a lot of uh, suggestions and a lot of red markups and a lot of X's on a few pages. And he said, "Tom, if you follow my instructions to the letter, it's going to take you a year to to finish this." And I said, "A year? I'll knock this off in two months." It took me it took me fourteen months. And after I followed his instructions to the letter, I submitted it back to him. He read it, and he said, yeah, I, I think you've got something here. And he gave me the name of a literary agent to send it to. I sent it out to that literary agent. Uh, Matt Biala is his name. And um, he then marketed the book to 12 publishers. Uh, 11 said no, but one said yes, and the rest is uh, history. And a lot of extremely good information and tips for any author out there, actually, whether yeah. you've written yeah. before or you're writing your 10th book. I mean, that's that's mm. excellent. Well, why did you choose Thank fiction you. over, let's say, true crime, maybe, because true crime is such a, you know, a hot genre right now. Of course, maybe when you mm. started um, – I think everybody came into the true crime arena reading Helter Skelter. <laughs> and, interestingly uh, enough, interestingly yes. enough, Helter Skelter was the the book that really drew me into uh, the art of writing. I read that many years ago. I'm thinking back in the 70s. And the adage is, you know, uh, you pick it up, you can't put it down. I picked this book up and I could not put it down. Um, the, the detail that was expressed in, in that book written by uh, Kurt, then I, I, I'm, I'm almost stuck with the last name, Kurt Venn, uh, the, the fellow that wrote it along with um, the uh, DA, Bugliosi. Uh, um, they, they put an incredible amount of detail in that book, and I was fascinated by it. Um, but it was that wasn't my my go-to book if I wanted to enjoy reading for something for pleasure. My go-to uh, genre was uh, mysteries or thrillers. So I read um, I, I read uh, Jeffrey Deaver, I read Michael Conley, I read all of Ed McBain's 87 precinct novels. I read Dean Kuntz, and over the years, reading these masters at, 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 of suspense, I think I developed a voice of my own, and you asked, why did I choose fiction? It's because it's something I liked to read, and because I liked to read it, it, it stimulated um, my direction for where I was going to end up writing. Um, I, I I liked reading it. I liked the flow of it, and uh, it seemed like something I could I could uh, imitate. Um, 
I, I certainly uh, didn't steal anybody's ideas, but their influence, the influence of Dean Koontz, Thomas Harris, Michael Connolly, Ed McBain is, is evident in my writing. And for the, and again, for the benefit of all the listeners out there, I know um, we spoke about this off air. Could you explain the difference between suspense thriller and a mystery? Mm-hmm. Not, uh, you know, all of them are fiction, but there is a mm-hmm. definite difference that I wasn't is, aware of, yeah. and I'm sure yeah. there's a lot of others out there that would appreciate knowing. Yeah. Well, when you read a mystery, um, you're aware that a crime has happened and um, you don't know who's, who, who's committed the crime and you're introduced to the um, investigator who's chasing down that criminal and you usually don't find out till the very end of the book who the perpetrator was, whether it was a, a, a murderer or a kidnapper, you, you just don't know. And uh, there's a lot of red herrings in there pointing to... Uh, uh, to every Tom, Dick, and Harry, aside from the, from the perpetrator, until you find out at the end who that that individual is, that that sort of is the the backbone, if you will, of a of a mystery. With a thriller, you know usually from chapter one who the killer is, or who the kidnapper is, or who the assassin is. You you know from chapter one. Uh, who he or she is, and you know how he's perpetrating his crime. For example, in uh, No One Will Hear Your Screams, uh, you're, the reader is introduced to a gentleman by the name of Tilden. And when we meet Tilden, um, he's viewing his victim who is um, lying six feet below him uh, in a grave. Uh, she's still alive, and he is about to, uh, to kill her. Um, and you, the reader sees that clearly, understands that clearly, and knows that this is who, who is the person to be tracked down. Um, and uh, it's not until um, the, the team of uh, NYPD professionals led by Lieutenant Sean Driscoll is introduced in, I think, Chapter 5 or 6 in that particular book, um, that you realize that they are brought in to track down Tilden, this madman, who is, um, he's got something against the ladies of the, the night, and he's out um, um, tracking down and um, killing prostitutes. Uh, his method of murder is by embalming them. Um, and that's, um, that's, a, that's a thriller. You know from, from the start what's going on in terms of who... And, and how, and uh, that's, that's how it differs from a mystery. Well, let's let's briefly explore some of the characters um, that you've introduced. Now, I, I understand that Lieutenant John Driscoll is a, is a recurring character throughout yeah. all three of your books. Um, mm-hmm. So is the, I mean, do you, ha- I, I'm assuming, I haven't read the first two, so I don't know, but I'm mm-hmm. assuming that there is a different bad guy and a different set of crimes that the bad guy has committed. This is true, yeah. Uh, just to give you some idea on, on how how my mind works in terms of, of where I come up with ideas, um, the first thing I do when I decide to write a book 
is uh, I decide on the method of murder. Once I um, have that down in my head as, yeah, that's what I'm going to go with, and then I decide, well, what type of person um, would commit such a heinous crime? For example, in my first book, Bone Thief, um, my method of murder was um, um, boning, um, removal of the bones from a victim um, while they're still alive. Um, as brutal as it sounds, that's that's what this guy had a penchant for. And um, his uh, he was introduced early on in the book by the name of Column. We don't find out his occupation until later on in the book. So that's a little bit of a mystery uh, facet of the book. But um, we know that he's uh, luring um, his victims over the Internet. His victims are are women who think they are about to to meet their first love. And um, um, some of them are married, some of them are in relationships, so they're going to keep that a secret. And the uh, the killer knows that, so it works to, to his advantage. So Colum um, lures his victims over the Internet, um, and he ends up um, assaulting them and killing them and extracting their bones. Um, we find out later in, in the story that uh, the guy's a radiologist, so that's his that's his niche. He's got a thing for bones. Um, and uh, in the screening room, the second book in in my series, um, I introduce a pair of uh, fraternal twins, uh, boy girl. I think they're age sixteen, as I recall, and uh, they were sexually assaulted as children by their dad. And they want to even the score. They even the score early. But opening chapter, you find out that they uh, they're visiting the uh, the grave of their dad, who they put in that grave, and then from there they take off on this journey through the through New York City to um, to take down uh, and brutally kill um, sexual offenders. Um, um, they haven't been offended by these individuals, but these are people that, that are sexual offenders, and uh, they are, because of their men- mentality and their upbringing, they've got a vengeance against these individuals, and they lure these individuals, and they kill these individuals. Um, and you meet uh, this set of twins, Cassie and Angus, early on, and... Um, I think chapter five or six, you're introduced to Lieutenant Driscoll, who was brought in with his team uh, to track them down. Um, so that's my way of thinking in terms of writing. I introduce uh, the killer, I introduce the method of murder, and then I introduce the team to uh, come in and uh, and pursue and put an end to the madness. What? Okay, how do you get in this character's heads? I mean, the psychology <laughs> of these killers is is mm-hmm. has got to be a fascinating subject in itself, and I'm sure a lot of research was done in in trying to figure out how how they're going to think. How do they how how can someone put this evil in their heads, or is it already there mm-hmm. and commit yeah. these heinous crimes? Yeah, question of whether they're born that way or they're raised that way, nature or um, um, 
nature. What's that term? I can't even think nurture, of it now. Nurture. Nurture or nature, yes. Yeah, yeah. Nurture or nature. Thank you. Um, I I have a writing coach um, that I, I seek the assistance of twice a week. I've been doing that for years. Um, he holds a degree in the art of... Uh, of writing. He taught it on a college level in Paris many years ago. What he does now, um, he is a psychologist, uh, I'm sorry, a psychotherapist, and he treats patients uh, on a regular basis every day for maladies of, of um, depression, and anxiety, uh, different psychosis. And he, he understands the workings of, of the mind, whether it be uh, healthy or criminal. So uh, he, he is my go-to guy who can give me the specifics of how an individual, such as the characters I have created, how they will, how they will act and why they will do the things they do. So I have that source and I have that, I use that tap uh, all the time. Um, I'm in constant contact when I'm not meeting with him uh, twice weekly, um, we email each other. We call each other with new ideas. So um, my writing um, coach, my 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 muse, if you will, is a, a psychotherapist who is uh, um, not treating me, but he is treating me to <laughs> all of the wonders of what he knows about uh, the inner demons of of people, and it helps me create these characters. That's probably the best resource you could possibly have that uh, it is incredible. You know, especially especially for a thriller book because you know yeah. you need all of that information plus he's a writing yeah. coach so yeah. <laughs> you're getting a it, two it for works. there <laughs> it's very important and any any new uh, any listener out there that's thinking about writing or is a new writer, it's, it, one thing to remember is it's even though you're writing fiction, it's incredibly important to get the details right about what you do, whether it be the uh, the, the police procedural side of it um, or the actual uh, crime uh, side of things, um, because it has to be specific, it has to be detailed, and it has to be accurate. Uh, otherwise, you're writing fantasy, um, and your reading um, public will get back to you usually through your website um, and, and let you know that you've made a mistake here, you've done something wrong here. Uh, case in point, an interesting case in point, is um, when I was writing uh, all three books, as I wrote all three books, I had the assistance of a uh, of a detective, uh, an actual um Homicide uh, in in books one and book in books one and two, I had the assistance of a retired homicide commander uh, to give me the police protocol in in, uh, in every way along the way. And in book three, I had the assistance of the of a uh, of the working uh, detective who was giving me advice as to what the police protocol would be. So I got that right. But when I wrote Bone Thief, I never thought to ask about weaponry, and I armed Lieutenant Driscoll um, with a, a Glock pistol, and in the book I wrote, um, there was one scene, I, I don't remember where in the book, but I wrote the, 
Driscoll um, released the safety on his on his Glock pistol and aimed. And um, I had eight people write to me to tell me that Glocks. Um, I'm sorry. I let me let me go back up, back up a bit. What I wrote was that Driscoll released the safety on his Glock revolver. And I had eight people write to me uh, via an email to my website to let me know that Glock only makes pistols and there's no safety on a pistol. So it was out there. I couldn't change it. So <laughs> I'm at a conference. <laughs> I'm at a conference at the, uh, the, Hyatt, the Grand Hyatt in Manhattan, uh, the International Thriller Writers Association holds their their um, annual conference there every July. In fact, um, this year they're going to have to do it virtual, but um, they, they've been holding it uh, since 2006. They've been holding their uh, their convention there, and it attracts about 400 to 500 writers from around the world and uh, a lot of fans and, and wannabe writers and agents and the editors are, are in attendance as well. So it's 10.30 at night. I'm sitting at the bar sipping ginger ale, and, um, and I'm sitting with Lisa Gardner, who is a big name in the thriller field, and we're just having a ca- casual con- so conversation. And I, I brought that story up about um, the fact that I had Driscoll release the safety on his Glock revolver and she laughed and she said she said you had people write to you I said yeah eight and she said I had 32 people write to me for the same mistake I said really she said yeah that's what I armed him with and I said well what do you do in book two and she said I armed him with a semi-automatic and left it at that so that's what I did for book two <laughs> but well uh, at least yeah, you I, know there were eight people paying very close attention and and had the yeah. knowledge that read your book Yes. No no one here's a here's a little anecdotal story. No one called me on um the fact that I gave credit for um Pretty Woman to um Roy uh, Roy's brother Ray. I, I either I wrote Ray Orbison's Pretty Woman or it went through a copy editor and it wasn't picked up. Um but the actual uh, release of the book had the typographical error in there, giving credit for the, the the song "Pretty Woman" to Ray Orbison instead of Roy Orbison. So anybody that asked me about it, I would say, well, well, Ray actually wrote it. That's his brother, but he was behind the scenes. Of course, that's not true. But then again, I write fiction, so. <laughs> and it sounds very plausible. It, it sounds yeah. <laughs> very very good. Well, okay, what? What new projects do you have in the works? Are you working on a, uh, another book for this particular series or doing something different? In my head, I have the workings, um, uh, the, the beginning, uh, if you will, of the of my fifth book, which will be the fourth book in the John Driscoll series. Um, it's tentatively called Ten Pals, um, but it doesn't really have much to do with uh, what people can think of when when they hear the term pen pals. It's it's a little different, and uh, it's still in the early stages. Um, it has to do with um, I, I discovered this website called penpals.com or penpals.net. I'm not really sure which it was, but it's a website which features 
women who were in a state penitentiary uh, serving time for various crimes. And they are about to be released, and they have this website out there, sort of like a match.com sort of thing, where they are listing, uh, they're, they're showing photos of themselves and, and listing uh, their makeup, uh, who they are, and uh, what they want to do when they get out, and they, they 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 indicate to the visitor, well, I've got you know three months left or four months left, and I'm going to get out. And I was uh, I'm serving time for larceny or kidnapping or whatever. But these are the pen pals because these these women in the penitentiary are are visited uh, online an online connection uh, with emails from from suitors that perhaps want to meet with them when they come out. So in my head, I'm sort of thinking about using that as a theme for the fourth book in the John Driscoll series. Um, but in the, the book that I have just completed, and when I say completed, that's a uh, small C because it's not ready for prime time yet. It's in its final editing stages. Is not it doesn't involve John Driscoll. It is um it's a it's a novel that introduces a um a thriller writer who um is suffering from writer's block and uh his name is uh Richard Singleton. The character's name is Richard Singleton and he is a big name writer on the level of uh, of uh, James Patterson. He's big name. He's won several awards. Um, but he runs into this writer's block, which is a real thing. And he just he can't break the writer's block. And he um, he goes for hypnosis. He goes uh, to lectures. He talks to uh, other authors. Uh, he goes to seminars. Uh, he goes for acupuncture. He starts taking some drugs. He just can't break the writer's block. And he decides, you know, I've had a, a, a friend who's written to me via my website through the years with very constructive advice and very supportive advice and a very selfless uh, individual who he has um, established a friendship with over the years. And he thinks, well... Maybe if I reach out to her, she could give me some advice. And he does. And he asks to meet with her. Um, he's single. She is as well. Uh, she's working as a thoracic surgeon. Uh, she she treats people with um, diseases of the lungs. So um, they're both in Manhattan. And they meet. And um, he explains his dilemma. And eventually they, they, they fall in love and um, they both have some money. So she's, um, she's decided to make her mission in life um, to get this Richard Singleton to start writing again. And um, they, they get married and they're both in an apartment, a separate apartment in Manhattan. And they decide, well, they're going to need a house to live in. And uh, she searches the web for a house uh, and through uh, Corcoran Realty, she finds this beautiful beach house in Bell Harbor, New York, which is where I live. So I sort of know the area and writers like to write what they know. So it's easy for me to, to, to set up a scene here in Bell Harbor. 
And she finds this house on the market. It's right on the beach, beautiful. Uh, it, it, from the photos uh, on the website, it looks like you could film The Great Gatsby there. The only thing is it's been on the market for, for about a year, and she can't understand why, why it hasn't sold. And she asks the realtor, she says, you know, it's, it, it looks like a beautiful house. I'd like to see it, but why has it not sold? And the realtor says, well, I, I've got to be honest with you. The reason that uh, that it hasn't sold and, and I'm having a hard time selling it is there was a heinous crime, a murder committed inside the house where a gentleman uh, killed his wife in a brutal fashion and uh, ended up scooping out her eyes and then disappearing. And he's, he's never been caught. So, um, Teresa, the, the, the surgeon and newlywed to Richard Singleton, says, oh, my God, what a perfect place to write a book where a murder actually happened, and, and she buys the house. And the two of them then move into this house, and um, that's when the craziness ensues because um, in the middle of the night, um, the um, former owner of the house uh, visits um, by telephone, Richard Singleton, and uh, he's he's been watching Richard Singleton. He's been watching Carissa because he, he is the former owner of the house. The house is bugged. It's got cameras. It's got recording instruments, and he's been watching the goings on of, of Richard Singleton for uh, for some time now, and he wants Richard Singleton to write his life story. And, of course, not only has he killed his wife and left, but he's also uh, killed many other people. He's a serial killer, and he wants to confess to Richard Singleton and have Richard Singleton write the story of his life. And he threatens Richard Singleton by telling him, if you do not, I will. Um, I will. I'll kill your wife and, and your family, and he's got the means to do so. That's Book five. And what's the working title? You've really wet the appetite for this one. This this sounds <laughs> working very good. Is, thank you. The, the working title of that one is Confessions of a Reformed Serial Killer. Okay. Okay. And and do you have it on the plate for release anytime soon? It's not. It's not near that plate yet. Uh, okay. I'd say, I'd say, uh, for the most part, it's it's the writing is complete. Now it's it's going through my editorial phase where I am editing it. Okay. I'll have an editor edit it, so it's not ready for prime time, but uh, it's getting close. Great, great, and hopefully, is Wild Blue taking that one on too? I haven't offered it to Wild Blue yet. I hope they do. Uh, we'll see I where hope that so goes. Too. Yeah, well, again, just a, something maybe for the benefit of, of our listeners. What do you feel the the best way to sell your book? Um, let's talk just briefly about marketing. Are you finding that online sales are good? Do you do personal appearances and maybe look at the two and see – where where your best sales are coming from? Right now, um, 
through Wild Blue Press. The book is available online at Amazon, at Barnes & Nobles, through their own website. Uh, it's, on, it's available as a uh, paperback and as a uh, Kindle book. They're also preparing an audio uh, book as well. And down the road, hopefully, there'll be a hard copy. I, I don't know what the plan is on that yet. Um, in terms of um, my marketing, I have uh, FSB Associates, who is a publicity firm that's handling the promotion of my book, along with the efforts of, of uh, Natalie DeYoung at Wild Blue Press. Um, so I've got the two working, in, working together to promote the book. And right now, because of uh, COVID-19, everything is sort of geared towards the, the online sale of the book. Um, when bookstores uh, are open to the public again in a big way, uh, will the book be available there? We'll see. I'm not really sure what the plan is. But right now, I'm gearing it towards uh, directing uh, readers who, who may want to read the book. To, to and, and that's how my, uh, my publicity people are doing it, is they're gearing them towards, uh, towards those websites, Barnes & Noble's. Amazon and Wild Blue Press. Um, have I made appearances in the past? Um, yes, um, but I, right now with COVID-19 going on, it's sort of like on the back burner as to as to what will happen there. Yes, I think you know that's kind of the dilemma for a lot of authors out yeah. there now. I know I worked yeah. with some, and they, you know, they their personal appearances are where they make the best sales because they can actually speak to the reader and talk about the book and everything. And and unfortunately that's kind of curtailed a lot of book sales for authors. Yeah. Okay. Well, two organizations, uh I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to add to that. The two organizations that I'm members of the international thriller writers association and uh, the mystery writers of America, they are promoting the book virtually. Um, uh, ITW through their uh, big uh, big chill their their monthly uh, their monthly magazine that they put out um, Rick Reed a um, thriller writer um, put together a uh, interview with me and it was released uh, just July one and MWA Mystery Writers of America will release I'm told uh, within the next week or two a um, a virtual um, reading um, of several authors uh, who, who are doing readings for the for the public to be seen online, and I'll be one of those. So I'm getting that support as well. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, it's it's kind of the waters are a little bit muddy right now. So any yeah, any yeah, help yeah. that authors can get, and and you know I I always like to put it out there to anyone who's listening. One of the most important things you can do for an author, whether it's a new author or an old author, if it's is it a book you enjoy, or even if you don't, it reviews are so important. Go to Amazon. Go to you know even Wild Blue Press. Go to the author. Let them know how you feel about the book. Um, Yes. You know, I it it just means everything, and it also it allows true. other people to to get your opinion about it. That's true, absolutely. And do you have a website, Thomas? I do. I have a website. It's 
www.thomasocallahan.com. The spelling of my name is um, is sometimes uh, uh, confusing because there's a silent G in there. Um, but if people are looking uh, for my website, if they simply um, uh, type in on the internet "bone thief," B-O-N-E, second word thief, um, they'll come up with the website. Or if they type in the name The Screaming Room, the second book, they'll come up with the website. And also if they typed in No One Will Hear Your Screams, they'll come up with the website. But the uh, the actual um, address for the website is www.thomasocallahan.com. Excellent. And all of the books in the in the trilogy are published and available on wildbluepress.com's website. And I yeah. hope that I hope everyone heads over. Get all three of them. It sounds like uh it sounds like very interesting reads. Well, our time's up for today, but I, I want to okay. say thank you so much for, you know, giving so much good information. I wish you all the success with these books. Uh, thank you. Delana. And I really am looking forward to uh, your upcoming books. And I hope you'll remember me when that time comes. And I would love to do this again with you. Okay. You are memorable, Delilah, and I will remember you. Thank you. Well, well, thank you. Well, everyone, as you go back out into the world and your maybe your area is opening up after the pandemic, maybe it's not. Um, but you know, it's our world has changed. It's changed, and hopefully, we're all going to go out there and look for the good that's happening, um, and try to make those changes that need to be made desperately in our country. So just remember one thing as you do that, as you, as you get out, please be kind to each other. Good advice. Good advice.